0: So, I'm, I'm first I'm going to give you a little spoiler on your search for the silver bullet and let you know, so that you can stop looking, that it does not exist. This is, this is your, your road to El Dorado, these are your windmills, you need to stop, sir.
1: Thanks, yeah. I needed that intervention. Where were you years ago?
0: I don't know, but I'm telling you now, that thing doesn't exist.
1: Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week Danielle Lozan joins me to converse about her history in writing and game design for the RPG industry. Along the way we discuss her history with White Wolf, Onyx Path, and Magpie Games. We also get opinionated about Blades in the Dark, the Genesis system, and discuss how Vincent Baker has affected modern RPG design. Be sure to check out the show notes for Danielle's contact information, as well as a link to her latest Kickstarter project, The Trinity Continuum. It is a high-flying pulp game that centers on the 1930s alternate history, but will explore various timelines and parallel realities. We have a lot of ground to cover, so it's time to get rambling. Hello, Danielle. Hi. So the other day I was on Twitter, and I saw a tweet from you. Oh no! The tweet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, that's why. You, that's why you never have social media presses because people just bring stuff up. Oh, they do. So, so the quote on April 9th, I think April 9th was a good day uh, for your tweet. So, and I don't think I really came across you because I think somebody liked your tweet, and then, then somehow it all. That's how it kind of goes. So anyway, it says, am I a quote? Uh, quote. Lots of people yesterday felt like they needed to explain to me how games work. I'm willing to put serious money on the bet that none of them checked my pinned tweet. Unquote. Like, yep. okay, I'll check your pin tweet. So it goes to your website, it goes to your resume. And so I'm not I don't I didn't count the number of works. Okay. I did not do that because but I'm going to guess that, I'm just going to look, I'm going to say at least 50. So
0: At least. And that, and that's not up to date, actually. I, I haven't updated it since, like, COVID started.
1: Well, that's great. You're working since COVID. That's a good sign. Uh, yeah. And what, what I think what also kind of uh, I thought was a little interesting is is the variation. So under game development, uh, it looks like you worked for uh, Chaosium.
0: Ooh, that's a story.
1: Yeah, seven Cs. Yeah, uh, Magpie Games. Yep. Um, like one one thing you did for there for for <coughs> game development. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Onyx Path, a ton of stuff, a lot. But then for the writing, Angry Hamster Publications, By Night Studios, Dirty Vortex Publishing, Mind Jammer Press, uh, Fringe Worlds. Did that already come out. It's not out. Okay. It's not out yet. I'd like to either talk about. That's something I like to either uh, bookmark for now or maybe some later date. Um, Onyx Path Publishing, oh my goodness, <laughs> for game writing, uh, the 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 amount of of books that you've done and the the different lines that you did is is pretty astounding. Then you did some stuff for Third Eye Games, including Part Time Gods, and then you also did some fiction for Onyx Path. Yeah. So that's that's quite a resume. So. Uh, Uh, so, so what kind of led you down this path?
0: Ooh, well, I am sure it will come as a shock to you that I am a gamer and, uh, I (laughs) have been playing games for a very long time. I, I know it's so shocking. No one ever tells you that you're like, how did you get into game design? And they were like, well, I was an astrophysicist.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I just didn't decide to go, Yeah, why not just do this instead?
0: Yeah, why not? Uh I I've always played games, played video games, played tabletop RPGs, pretty much, you know, enjoy the fantasy elements of it and the gamification of things. And I was actually at a really I've, I've talked about this if in I, I've posted blogs and stuff and I talk about it sometimes when people ask like how did you get into game design and it's really weird because uh, for the most part i was a player and always just a player and i wanted to be an author i wanted to be a novelist like low key on the side i wanted to be a novelist but i had a masters in animal nutrition and i worked in a like biology lab
1: <laughs> okay so you so so, <laughs> so animal nutrition animal yes. lab yeah. And dreaming of one day being a writer. Being a novelist. A okay. Being a novelist. Yes. I just a writer, yes. but a novelist.
0: Not just not a novel, Yeah, not just a writer, a novelist. And I, you know, just I wrote all the time. I would just I'd wake up, I'd have like a weird dream and I'd write it down. I'd have a, a spark of an idea, I'd write it down. I'd sit for a weekend and write 20,000 words just to get things out of my head. I wrote all the time <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, I could be a novelist. But that was never, never a novel came out that way. Uh so I had been doing that for a while and I'd been playing games separate for that desire. And I was going through a really rough time in my life when my mom died and I had quit my PhD program and I moved states, I moved like halfway across the country, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with myself anymore, so I was looking for a job and I was trying to figure out what to do. And at the time, my boyfriend, who I was living with, it was supporting me, bless him, was <laughs> looking around on LiveJournal. This is how long ago this was, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I follow all these game developers, and there's an all-call right now for a game. You know, if you want to write, why don't you write like game material?" And I'm like, mm, "I don't know." I don't know if so, I could. So, do that. so what games
1: were you playing at, at that time?
0: Oof, a lot of the world of darkness stuff. So I was okay, playing, so you're playing World
1: of Darkness. So what was the game line that your boyfriend suggested that you may write material for?
0: A World of Darkness game. Mage okay. the Awakening. So Okay, he saw, well it seemed
1: he could see right.
0: Oh yeah. I mean he's yeah, I mean, he's also involved. Like we met through we met in college, but we have known each other through gaming spheres for a while. So he, you know, he also participates in games. So, you know, but he mentions, you know, you, you like writing when you just, they there's an all call. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I like the only thing I've ever written is my master's thesis. He was like, well, you won't know if you don't try. I'm like, okay, okay. So I I put together a pitch and I do tell this developer, I'm like, I've never written anything, but my master's thesis, not professionally, like that's been published. But I, you know, I write a lot, but that's not really writing. So what was your master's that that thesis
1: sense.
0: on? Uh, and, Let's see, micronutrients in chickens.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, you couldn't really use that, could you?
0: (laughs) No. So I had to make up some writing samples. Uh, So I just made some crap up and submitted it. And I was lucky that person was like, hey, I like your writing. And I was like, oh, okay, great. They hired me for a couple of projects back when CCP owned the White Wolf property um, and was publishing books. So CCP stopped publishing books, and then about a year or two later, Onyx Path Publishing picked up the license to publish those books. So when I started, when when I did this, it was when CCP was still publishing books. And I worked on two projects, and then CCP stopped publishing books. And I found this out because I was like, oh, that was really fun. Hi, developer. I would like to maybe write for more books. And they were like, hi, author. You did a great job, but we're not publishing books anymore.
1: So what books did you, the first two books that you wrote for, what were those?
0: My first two books were um, a Mage the Awakening. um, Oh man, it was a chronicler's guide. So it was like an alternate chronicle setting kind of guide, like super optional. Here's what this would look like if the world were X, Y, or Z, like just kind of off the wall type things. And then... Uh, the Unbidden, I think it was called, which was a night horrors book, which is just an antagonist book for Mage of the Awakening. So, you know, weird monster kind of book. Um, and so I, I wrote on both of those and, you know, very, I say small projects, maybe one of them was 6,000 words, one of them was 10,000 words. And then I didn't hear back or anything. And, you know, I, I, Felt like I had done a good job, but you never know. And there's right. lots of imposter syndrome going on at all times, forever and ever. So I I kind of reached out. I was like, hey, you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing some more work. And and he was just like, Yeah, we're not. So sorry to let you know that we're just not, we we got essentially everybody got fired at Gen Con. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) They took everybody out to like a dinner and we're like, yeah, let's have a dinner. By the way, we're cutting all of you. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that kind of ended it for me for a a short amount of time. And I tried to do some writing uh, between that. I wrote a couple of short stories. I tried to shop them around to, you know, short story like publication sites i got rejections like you do when you're trying to do real author work uh as opposed to like self-publishing where you just right. do it and i just kind of kept doing my lab job because that was making money <laughs> yeah and i eventually that same person contacted me again a couple of years later and was like hey you know I'm working with Onyx Path Publishing now. They're this new thing. They have licensing for this. Would you be interested in doing an unofficial second edition to the World of Darkness? Um, at the time, was the what we dubbed the New World of Darkness? So not the older Vamp- Vampire the Masquerade or any of that stuff, but the the instead like Vampire the Requiem era of of World of Darkness. Um, where they had the, the blue core book. And I was, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to actually start writing again. It's been two years. Uh, and so I did. And then after that, it just kind of work kept coming, and I kept accepting projects. And eventually I started accepting enough projects to where I was like, hey, I think I can quit my day job and do this full time and be more productive and get a lot more fulfillment out of it. And so I did. And and then here I am.
1: Wow. So you've also did the writing, but you also it shows game development. So. So what what was the transition from? I'm assuming you still do writing the normal, but but what what was the the transition to game development?
0: So that transition was honestly as simple as asking. Uh, You'll notice that most of my credits come from Honest Path Publishing. And I do have a really strong working relationship with that group. So I had written a bunch of stuff for them. And at the time, primarily for them, I hadn't really written for many other companies at that time yet. Most of my work was mostly internal, like one developer from that group would be like, I need a person and I got recommended. And then somebody else recommended me to somebody else. And so I had worked with a couple of different developers on a couple of different game lines. And I kind of got a feel for the development process and, you know, the book creation process. And so I decided, you know, I, I feel like I could do that. So I asked like, Hey, do y'all need more developers? Would you, you know, is that something I could get into? And they were like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's get you started. Let's, get you, you know, there's some books in the pipeline that are waiting for developers to free up time, right? Like they would be developed by X, Y, Z person, but those people are busy right now or have too much on their plate. So having another person develop is, is useful. And so, uh, I got started on a book right away and then it was very, it was very slow at first because there weren't a lot of, you know, these were ancillary projects, they were supplements, there was no like core book work or anything like that. I wasn't doing like actual game design so much as just developing a source book, which is
1: a little different. So is that project management mainly?
0: It's, that's a hundred percent all it is. I mean, there's some, there's some writing and design work that goes into development, but the core of it is project management. Essentially, I'm, as a developer, I hire authors, I give them an outline, I get them writing, I read through their stuff, give them direction on how to clean it up, I I collate the cleaned up stuff, and then I hammer it into a form that looks like a cohesive book that was written by maybe, you know, one person as opposed to 10 different people.
1: So I, I can imagine that, it's, especially dealing with a lot of different people, that could be extremely difficult because you you have a timeline where you need that book to come out. You probably mm-hmm. have people of varying degrees of writing ability. You also have mm-hmm. people of varying degrees of ability to get things on time. Yep. <laughs> and I can imagine that's a – and you're probably – you know, I'm not sure at what point you announce a release date, but I'm, I'm sure there's still, you want things probably out for Gen Con. You know, that's a big one. Yeah,
0: there's, you know, the release schedule is actually, you know, for certain people, you know, depending on if I'm developing for myself or other people or whatever, there's usually, a, you know, an agreed upon timeline from project start to project finish that is a reasonable amount of time. So a game book of varying length. So a standard, I don't know, like 200 page game book. So of the, of the like eight by 11 form factor. So that like, or eight and a half by 11 form factor. So that like kind of standard, you know, D and D supplement looking kind of standard book, I would say needs about a nine month development period. And so you don't start all your books in, you know, January so that, or, you know, you don't start all your books in November going, okay, and they'll be ready to publish by Gen Con. Like you can't do that because literally all of your people will be tapped for working on all of those books at that time. So you have to stagger it. So sometimes development cycles may take longer and sometimes uh, a book's release may be delayed yeah. to try to fit a better timescale. Like we don't want the book dropping during Christmas, or you know when people are. Right. Distracted you probably have certain key or...
1: books, like Jane Con is key for certain yeah. things, but the some of the minor stuff, you're probably it's probably less important. Just
0: just pop it out whenever. And Onyx Path Publishing does a a pretty standard job of they try to release one thing every week. And that thing could be anything (laughs) from, yeah, I know that that thing could be anything from we released a new piece of art on our Redbubble store to we released a PDF of a book that is ready to go to, you know, that, that PDF we released last month. Well, this month it's now on sale for print on demand
1: right? So there's some
0: kind of release every week, but it's not necessarily, and here's a brand new book for you.
1: Yeah, but still, that that, that still takes a lot of thinking, coordination, and probably some hand wringing at times. It's a beast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a reason why there's a a big team of, and mostly freelancers, but there's a big team of people who are coordinating and working together. Uh, And, you know, I know that, I have, you know, when I work for, say, like Magpie Games, those those time constraints are often not at, even as the, as present as they are at Onyx Path Publishing. Uh, Magpie Games mostly publishes Powered by the Apocalypse games. Yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse games really take not that long to write, but a long time to perfect. They They take rounds of playtesting and editing and making the moves just right and making, getting the feel just right. And they, they do rounds of writing and editing and writing and editing and playtesting and, you know, a game I work on this, that, you know, this year may not show up in the hands or even in Kickstarter or the hands of people for, you know, a year or two because of the way they do their, their development cycle.
1: Yeah, because I was listening to, I think it's it's two people that do the writing. Well, I mean it's not two people, but it's is it a husband-wife team that owns Magpie or is it our uh, partners?
0: They're partners. Okay, yeah, they're partners. I'm, they're not so, married.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, the because I've heard them talk, and I think in some ways it seems counterintuitive. Because you think 2D6 moves, like what's the big deal? And and, and these people have been doing power by the apocalypse. For a long, well, not it's been out for a long, but it's pretty much as long as, as Power of Apocalypse has been out, they've been working on stuff. And I remember them talking about how much effort goes yep. in to, so it's kind of interesting that when you do have a simple mechanic, I think it has to be right. It, it goes to show that there's more to it than just simply slapping something down, that there really is a lot of iterations for such a yeah. Simple.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's deceptively simple. And I think there's a lot of things that are deceptively simple, right? You know, like two, (laughs) I roll 2d6 and I add a number and then I, like, I either do or I don't. And like, that's so easy, but it's, it feels effortless on the player part or on the, you know, the GM part because of all the work that the designers put into making it feel effortless and making all of that stuff work together and make sense where if it, Wasn't good if it wasn't built well, it wouldn't feel effortless. You'd be like, Well, I want to be able to do this thing, but I can't, and I don't understand why not.
1: Well, and I think for them, they are selling you an experience a very detailed, you know, experience. This is not a general experience for the Power by Apocalypse, Mm -hmm. this is very specific. So if you don't come away feeling like this is uh, you know, a, 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 like a Mexican mafia game, or yep. this is not a whatever game it, yep. it, you blow some of those moves where it's like, this does not feel like a right. telenovela or whatever the, the, the thing is that they're doing. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, and it falls apart. And, right, exactly.
0: Um, and that, and I, I think you hit on something that people don't really consider much when they think of Power by the Apocalypse. It's, it, you don't play, uh, a general genre game in Powered by the Apocalypse. It's not like Powered by the Apocalypse fantasy. I mean, Powered by the Apocalypse itself is kind of a generic, like, apocalypse survival game. Yeah. And it's the only one. (laughs) Like, Apocalypse World is literally the only game I can think of in the Powered by the Apocalypse system that is as generic as it is. And it is still hitting a very, like... Narrow genre of yes. survival horror.
1: It's not Gamma World.
0: No, uh, and it's interesting because you know when you're talking about it, there is a very specific experience that Power by the Apocalypse games are trying to evoke for you. Whatever that game is supposed, to, whatever that game is trying to do, it's always very narrow and tight. And the more narrow and tight you make it, the better that game is going to be. Right. You know when I look at Masks, a new generation it's not a superhero game, right? It is a teen superhero game. And the moves lend itself to the knowledge that like, when you try to make a move against an adult, you just aren't gonna do a very good job. And teens aren't very good at persuading people to do stuff. So they don't even really have a move to do it with. And so it's evoking this, like your teens who have teenage angst and teenage problems and teenage capability for solving your problems right and a lot of good powered by the apocalypse games zone in on that really narrow focus and create that kind of experience and and i think you're right you're you're really building an experience out of the game more so than you're building a setting or a or a playscape in which people can kind of set you know, yes, you're telling these stories, but you're telling these stories around this very specific experience.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, the math, I ended up buying that because the, I think I got hypnotized right from my Facebook ad. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Twenty four dollars postage paid. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's it's a good game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it's just like anything else. There's so many games. I, so I played it once at a con, and it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Mm-hmm. And and, you, and the thing is, you're right. It's not a. It is not a. It is a it is wrapped around. There's there's a a a, a uh, like a paper wrapping around wrap that's superhero, but that's not what it's about. It's it's about right the conflicts. It's about dealing with adults. Yep. It's about all the hassles. It's really tailed for that but it has fun mechanics for doing the superhero but this isn't a this is not justice league or or mm-hmm. this is not the avengers this is not spider-man this it's is Teen titans it's team titans yes it's <laughs> 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 so anyway it's and and so uh and, and that has its own fun and i think it, it like of course everybody needs to buy into that but you know I, i've been you know the, the part of the problem is i grew up well i grew up but uh champions was my my game of choice mm-hmm. and i just absolutely love love the hero system but i just don't have time for it it's just too much i don't even want to i don't want to burden anybody with it so i've always been looking for this the superhero <laughs> silver bullet game you know the one that will rule them all and it's hard that's, man <laughs> it <is. laughs> oh boy because if if you, you played uh the hero system
0: i haven't but i've, I've heard about it i mean like
1: you know, it, the, the combat takes like you know, it might take an hour and a half, two hours. But you know, you can knock people through buildings. You could, I mean, th- it's all there. I mean, it's all there. But it's still, it's amazing amount of counting hexes, and it, it's just ridiculous. Yep. It, there's a lot of ridiculousness. It needs to. Be, it, it's got the. Uh, it's the '90s overabundance of, of details. It just yeah, it needs to be stripped out. It's
0: a, yeah, it's a math game.
1: It is. It I is. I too
0: played games when learning math. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you know, it's it's like even like with because um, I remember we because we started with at well, Starbit early on. We played Traveler. Have you ever played Traveler?
0: I, again, no. But I, that's a game that I actually really want to play, even though I know it's like one of the the more old school games.
1: Oh, it's very. It's a it's a pretty elegant. It's pretty elegant. I'll say it's it's a very still a very elegant game in a lot yeah. of ways, but. You know, the original one, if you, you know, you do space comet, you were doing vectors. So, you know, we're we, <laughs> doing our calculations, angles. This is like, this is crazy. You know, now I'm an older, it's like, I don't have time for that. It's like something simpler. So, but no, I, I, I Mongoose actually doesn't do it too bad. You can actually pick up, if you want to play Traveler, it's called the Cephas Engine. It's an mm-hmm. SRD, basically, of Traveler. Somebody oh, took okay, it out. Cool. And it's a uh, Cephas engine. Is um, it's 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 not put out by the Traveler people, but everything in it is 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 an SRD. It's, so it,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games that I've ex- experienced by reading that I haven't had a chance to play. Like you say, there are so many games out there that, like, ah, oh, I'm familiar with that and I've read about it. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play so many games I would love to play. Yeah,
1: and that's what I do for. That's why I love conventions is just the experience of
0: oh, yeah. a lot
1: of things I've never like like Vill- villains of vigilantes never played it. So I got to play it a, a couple times at a convention. And yep. the guy that that was running the game was absolutely nuts and it was the funniest <laughs> funniest time I ever had. I laughed I laughed so hard my eyes hurt. Oh, I man, cried that's so hard. Yes. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, a tremendous amount of stuff. So, game writing, uh, game development. So, you've also, so you worked with Magpie. You worked for Expat. You've also, worked you said you worked for Chaosium.
0: Oh yeah, so that's a story. Um, I actually never worked for Chaosium proper. I actually worked for John Wick Presents. Okay. But my work is now being sold and produced by Chaosium. Uh, because they picked up the license for 7th C. So uh, I did, I was the, for about a year, was it about a year? Man, I don't even know. I worked for them about, for about two years and about a year of that maybe not quite, I was the in, in-house in line developer for 7th uh, C. So I was developing a lot of the the supplements for the core second edition 7th C book and also kind of wrangling other developers and kind of just being the project manager. And a little bit of the content developer. I mean, John clearly is, you know, was in charge of making sure the content was right. what he envisioned for 7th C, but it had to make it through me before it could ever make it to John kind of thing. Uh, so, Yeah.
1: It, that, and that's been kind of because I was never a seventh c person, but I did follow um I think the different writers and different people were on. And it, it does sound like a tremendous amount of work was put in to this to that's where I'm looking for it, not, not to transfer the real world ickiness into uh, that's where i'm I'm trying to put it. I think they're very sensitive of cultures and making mm-hmm. sure that, that everything was respectful yes, and yes. that you weren't just being lazy and just saying, this is not China, this is not Japan. Sure. This is, you yes. Know. Yes. And, and, and also making sure that different books included different groups. I mean, it, it sounded yeah. like the whole thing was an absolute, um, uh, a tremendous amount of work, energy, and, and, and really good stuff was put into to that line. And it just sounds like it just, I don't know if it just overextended. The amount of work that was. Yeah, put out. I mean,
0: the I think you know the seventh C second edition Kickstarter was the first RPG book Kickstarter that broke a million dollars. Yeah. And it set a record, and nobody expected that. Literally no one. John right. didn't, like <laughs> AEG didn't when they gave him the license back. No, nobody expected right. that. And so when that was going on, you know, I wasn't involved when that Kickstarter was going on, but I've heard kind of the the reasoning behind what happened, which is there was a lot of scrambling of this Kickstarter is going wild. And one of the things that helps Kickstarter energy continue is stretch goals. Yeah. Right. That is what really pushes a Kickstarter's energy up, 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 up. Yes. And there was not plan. For more than like a couple of stretch goals that got blown through within the first like couple of hours. Wow. And so they went, <laughs> and so they were like, instead of having days to consider, oh, this looks like it's taking off. We should think up more stretch goals. They had hours to consider. All of the stretch goals we had planned have been blown through, and we need to come up with new ones ASAP. And so there was a mad scramble for let's make this a line. Okay how much money do we think each book needs to, like, how much money do we think we need to set benchmarks for, for each new book? You know, what do we do? And honestly, it was ambitious and it was a snap judgment that was maybe not the best. Right. And so the decision to include all of these books as stretch goals and maps and a board game and these tokens and this fate deck and this box of dice and this, you know, fancy this and all of these production things. And yes, we can do them all, but is this actually the right amount of money on, you know, additionally on the Kickstarter, are we charging the right amount of money to to sell all these PDFs slash all these core books plus shipping plus all this stuff, right? So it was a a lot of things that they didn't have a lot of time for analytics on, made a lot of decisions and made it really ambitious and maybe too ambitious. So, I got it. so as that ambition, which started up like really high up here, it could have sustained itself managed properly. And I'm not saying there was mismanagement or anything. No, so when you have that right. amount of money and that amount of product that is writing on it, any small mistake gets compounded.
1: Yeah and there's variables too I'm sure with you know like the cost to produce the books could change or I mean cuz you're talking over a long period of time not just me putting out my zine in a couple months, it's, no. it's, you know, there's not much going to change. At least I hope right. Not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you price out <laughs> printing and then two months later, you're like, cool. This is my quote that you gave me for the printing. That's, you know, good for six months. Yeah. Give it to me. But when it's, that's good for six months and now it's next year. Right. And I say, oh, well, how much is printing now? And they're like, oh, it's gone up by this much. And you're just like, well, beans. So, yeah, it, there's so much. And, there's so much counted for, and and then you know one of the things that John wanted to do was he wanted to make a real like a game company out of John Wick yeah. Presents instead of just being John Wick,
1: right? Which it
0: had been. <laughs> he wanted to be you know John Wick Presents, and here's my team of people and my you know my my developers who are in house and my authors who are in house, and that unfortunately costs money. Um, so it it was a you know a a pile of a really high energy, really high ambition, and really high expectations. And then a couple of small mistakes can just have it all topple down, which is well, unfortunately kind of
1: Yeah. And I think that you know if you look at what Wizards of the Coast has done with five E, they've been incredibly conservative in as far as what their output is. Yes. And it's
0: because like... it's Well, I mean, you know, you look at like 4th Edition didn't do that, right? 4th Edition had a book every couple of months. Yeah. And it suffered, in my opinion, from, well, 4th Edition suffered from a lot of things. We could have an entire discussion about why 4th Edition didn't maybe do as well as it should have. But I think the lessons that Wizards of the Coast learned from producing 4th Edition and producing it the way they did is that taking a more measured approach to... Supplements was going to be better for them overall.
1: Yeah, and I think the idea is if you put out too much, I think you start. Well, I don't say cannibalizing, but I think there could be a certain amount of like wallet fatigue or or something like that.
0: Absolutely, like a large like it's such a weird thing. It as a fan, as a person who buys games, whenever somebody's like, "Yeah, this is a game," and here's a line of books that go with it, I am the greedy person who will be like, "Oh yes, give me every source book." Everything I can <laughs> to to buy, and oh, a new book's come out, and I'm going to buy it because I need to know this new information. But not everybody is like that. It, you usually sell a much smaller percent of books from core book to supplement, and every supplement you release after the after the core book, that number of sales diminishes, diminishes, diminishes. Yeah. So if you've got a core book and a supplement, you may have like a 1,000 units sold. I'm just spitballing. A 1,000 units sold on the core book may translate to 500 units sold on the supplement. The second supplement may be 400 units sold. The third supplement may be 300 units sold. And then every supplement after that may be like 200 units sold. Who knows? Every time you release a supplement, though, you may actually get more sales on the core book. Because, because you're releasing new things, you're generating hype, right? and you're creating more like market noise, and people go, oh, there's this new supplement for a game I've never heard of. Let me go, oh, it's it definitely clearly being supported because there's a new supplement out. Maybe I'll get into that game. Fans like to see that your game is being supported, and they view support as products are being published for it. I think that's changing, though, with things like twitch streaming and uh people playing your game in general. They give you have active gameplay support where, you know, you're supporting streamers who are playing your game or people are actively playing your game. People seem to feel like that game is more alive than if you're constantly pumping out supplements. And I think Wizards of the Coast has capitalized on that a little bit as yeah, well. Yeah, they got lucky. They did get lucky.
1: They didn't I mean, plan this.
0: No, nah, they. I mean, you say they got lucky, but that's like that's like saying that they were an overnight success. A an overnight success, forty no, years in the making. No, but I mean,
1: as far as the all these uh, actual play people, they were the actual play people were doing this for a long time. And that caught on fire. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They never said, you know, I think actual play is the way to go. It wasn't telling. No,
0: it- I don't think so. I mean, they, they got lucky in the sense that somebody semi-famous decided that he was going to run a and d game for some people and stream it. Who Like some other semi-famous people, right? So people's right. favorite game voice actors are now playing a game. And now everybody's like, well, what are they playing? Yeah, and I think the they're playing that game is because that game is thirty years old, and everyone knows about that game.
1: Yeah, I think it was still would have caught on. I still think it, it wasn't just one thing, but I mean, but I, but still, the burning fire, the timing was just, I think, was just. It, not that, that that Wizards had nothing to do with it, but I'm, but the, there was so much. It, it's kind of like with a lot of people that are successful, you know, it's both timing and preparation. And, you know what I mean? It, it, it all comes together. Like yeah, I say they're I, lucky. It wasn't like completely lucky, but it was things started going. And they're like, well, wait a minute. We need to, We need to. you know, start yeah, supporting well, this.
0: Well, I mean, there's, so I, I've had this conversation with some of my, you know, other like developer friends or game designer friends of the, the concept of most of the time people who are making games are making well, what we would consider adequate games. This is this is a game that's adequate, probably even enjoyable, but it's not groundbreaking. It's not like it's not you know redefining the games industry. Right. Right. Every now and then, though, somebody makes a game where they have caught lightning in a bottle. Right. But you don't catch lightning in a bottle on your first try. No. No. You can catch lightning in a bottle but you're never going to do it on your first try. You're going to make a bunch of adequate games and then suddenly you're going to catch on fire. Right. And and it's 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 hit or miss on who does it. It's hit or miss on how long that takes. You know, I look at games like Blades in the Dark where, you know, Blades in the Dark is was an overnight success. John Harper, 10-year overnight success. Like the guy had been making games forever before this game. Right. But people didn't know his name. They didn't know, you know, what? Oh, but now they know, oh, this game. Oh, yes, this is, there's a Forged in the Dark. There's whole communities around, you know, making games within it. The same with Apocalypse World, right? The the people who made that, um, oh, my God, my brain has just lost me. Um, Vincent, Vincent Baker and Megu, Meg? You, Meg I don't know. Man, I'm just going to shut up now. (laughs) Cut that. (laughs) Anyway, Apocalypse World, same thing, right? It was genre defining in like, it changed the way people thought about tabletop games and indie games in general.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is I don't know that, because I've never played Apocalypse World. It's funny. And I would venture, I could be, I'll venture a guess. I may be wrong. I'm guessing that the people who, who piggybacked off of Apocalypse World probably has sold more than yep. Vincent Baker has. And and not I just mean it, it it's kind of interesting that he, his his explosion wasn't so much I don't think in the minds of the population in general, but key designers that just like this blows my mind. And that's with I think with Dungeon World that's followed it had a huge success.
0: Yep. It Dungeon just World. started yeah. And then, like, Avery Elder had Monster Hearts, which yeah. was a huge <laughs> yeah. success. Yeah, that, I think
1: that's what took took this game. I never played Monsters, but they said, you know what? Let's just take this dial to 11 in a direction nobody expects. And you're like, what? This works. This works doing this. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And then everybody's
1: mind blew up. And mm-hmm.
0: then. Yeah. I think that, yeah, like that kind of advent of like it caught on fire. And I think, I think, you know, like I haven't spent a lot of time in the OSR community, but I think the OSR community had similar like advents in that way of somebody going like, remember when, you know, math was cool. And I hate to say it like that, right? Because they're like, but the, all the math part of it was bad. What if we made those like really kind of old school games, but like made better math
1: right, exactly. and
0: made the, and made the game actually fun and playable. And somebody was like, oh, you could do that.
1: <laughs> well, I think the key part, and I can't remember who put it out or what the product was, but somebody put out a product that was a D&D clone. Mm-hmm. Wizard says, we'll sue you. And the guy says, I'm a lawyer. Go ahead. And yep. stood up to him. And people were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> then that stuff started. Then somebody it came out. It was like an SRD of sorts. It yep. wasn't the system, and then all of a sudden, that was I think the moment when people said, "You know what? Like you said, I love second edition, but I don't like this. Or I love whichever box, but I didn't like this." Mm-hmm. And uh, but that was a, that was the moment where all of a sudden, you know, Zeus was not able to throw a lightning strike against. <laughs> right? <them>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like oh wait, you mean you mean you can't actually copyright how dice roll? <laughs> yeah. Whoa! Like I mean, but. But when you think about it, we were kind of sold on the, the idea, like it up until, you know, that advent, we were kind of sold on the idea that you could, especially because D&D third edition sold us on that. You know, they had this D20 system, which had an open gaming license. Yeah. And the, the, the. The presence of an open gaming license implies that there are closed gaming licenses, i.e. mechanics that are behind gates, that you cannot utilize those mechanics in any game without asking the game mechanic creator. But the truth of that matter is you can't call it that system name. Right. But you don't get to decide that if I roll 2d6 and say that that's, you know, a 7 is a success, like craps doesn't own that.
1: Right. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Nobody owns that. And so anybody can use that as a randomization.
1: Yeah, and I think thing. that's where for Vincent it kind of I don't want to say changed things, but I think at that moment, I mean, he was like, Yeah, go ahead. Like, I'm encouraging you. Yeah. In fact, you could take my name, my my logo, and put it on your game. And I'm not even going to police whether it truly is what I consider a a power by apocalypse. If you think it is and you want to put that logo on her, by all means, go ahead, which I think was just an amazing and generous, even though he may, you know, I don't think he necessarily gave anything away that he wasn't already giving away, other than his approval, in a sense, to, to play with his tools.
0: Yeah, but I mean, everybody knows his name. Everybody. Everybody knows his name. So I mean, (laughs) what did he really give away except for all that free marketing?
1: Yes. And I don't know, you know, maybe he has I don't know that he's actually ever fully capitalized on it. I don't know. But anyway, but anyway, but everybody respects him and and Mm -hmm. he's gained a lot of 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 um that's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, kind of like the he'll be remembered for for generations. I mean it's it's that kind of Ernie Gygax level of, of, well, I mean, at that level, but I mean, as far as sure. this, like, yeah, he fathered a, the, a lot of the stuff that we're doing. And I think, I think what we're going to start seeing too is, you know, things just start mashing together is what's with, with all these systems and, and iterations and cross pollination. Um, well,
0: yeah. And I think I've seen, a, I'm seeing a lot more of that from games that have a system that is a little more open to playing with, mm-hmm. where people are putting out systems, like, You know, there's the, um, the Mutineer Zero system That's that it. Free League has put out. It's there's
1: not overly different from Blades in the Dark. Not.
0: <laughs> but it is. It is in key ways, though.
1: No, it, you're right. I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're the same, but it's like you start looking at stuff, and it's like, yeah, you can start seeing, like, there's a common DNA Yep. with a lot of this stuff. And, in fact, if you look at the Free League stuff, they're putting stuff in some of their other games that are, they're pulling from 2d6 traveler. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yes. At this point, if you're not mugging a game system you like for a unique mechanic that you like, you're not doing it right. right. Like, <laughs> Cause why not? Right. Like, Oh, that, uh, that clock system that you, that you didn't actually invent, but put in your game. I, I, I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> I'm sure it's in other games, but now I like it, so I'm gonna take it and put it in my game. And uh, that like soft hit, like the 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 hit, but not quite a hit, I'm like Powered by the Apocalypse really kind of started that, but phew, I see it in all sorts of games now.
1: Yeah, and I'll say Blades, I've, even though I've never, I only played one Blades game, I've only, I've, I ran a Blades style game, I converted it to Cortex. Just because I'm that way, I just like... Sure. <laughs> it's, it's dumb. I can't play in this system. I to convert to another system because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what, you know, but anyway... And we're not alone. But it, I will say that game has been incredibly influential in the way I think about things.
0: It's, it's interesting to me how influential it is. I have some... Sometimes I have conversations about it in particular that it's such a great game. It's a really good game. It's really well designed to do the thing that it wants to do. Yep. It is so good at that. And I have, like, I tried, I did a hack of it into something like I was, you know, I'm I'm working on a game. I was like, well, I'm going to try to use Forged in the Dark. And I started to, and it's like, doesn't do the things that I want to do because it does this one thing really well and trying to get it to do anything else is like pulling teeth. I'm essentially like stripping out subsystems. It's not that game anymore, right? And then I start thinking like, what really is Blades in the Dark but a jumble of subsystems that service right. one goal?
1: <laughs> yeah, I to me, what I think what the the there's a number of things that are beautiful. I mean, the mechanics for what it does is is really good. But I really I really love the uh, the down. I'm mean, more than the in here, I love the concept downtime of the system. down. Yeah, it's like. It's a great
0: subsystem.
1: Yeah. It's like, okay, we finished the adventure, but the game's not over. Let's Mm -hmm. have some more fun.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about how our characters decompress. Yeah. And do it in a way that's like actionable and not just like us, like, oh, but I don't, I guess I'm just going to hang out by the fire (laughs) (laughs) or whatever. I'm training. Yeah, like, do if, I earn XP?
1: And then the thing is, even if you just say, you know, what I just want to do some R, quote R and R, that R and R can lead you into trouble. I mean, it, it can, sure can. <laughs> <laughs> How much stress do you want to have relieved at one time? Right. Wow, okay. Let's go, just see what happens.
0: And do you go on a wild bender and not show up for the next game because of it? Like, oh it's my. literally my! favorite, my favorite consequence for that is. Uh, is the go on a bender and just like disappear for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing is, it, it's like, it took something that I think was part of, we'll say, OS, maybe like an OSR game. Sure. You know, kind of like, what do you do afterwards? And, you know, I think the idea was, okay, you go and you, you know, you go spend your money or you go do mm-hmm. this or get healed up. But, you know, it took all those things Is in, I think the other thing that's, it's kind of interesting is um, the, cause the way money is handled too, cause money equals weight. Mm-hmm. Money can be used to do things, mm-hmm. but you also don't need money to buy things because your downtime activity, you can sacrifice a downtime activity to work on a project. Yep. It's like, what are we wonderful use of money? It's, it can be used for things other than, than buying things. Yep. But you can also buy things without you spending money. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the money is a res. It's it's a a thinly veiled resource management system where the resource isn't actually money. It's ticks that allow you to do other things on your on your sheet. Yeah. Um. So it's you know the resource management of oh you have coin you can spend coin to get. Get more downtime actions or to get better results on your downtime actions or here's this resource. Here's how you manage it. Here's your, you know, coin spenders on 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 the different sheets. Yeah, right. So it's not like gold for items, which is traditionally what people think of money for you could call coin like literally anything else. And it would still function the same because it's actually just a resource management tool and not actually like it's functionally not really money. It's
1: just a, but the thing is I think I'm fascinating is, is it takes weight mm-hmm. and then you have to make decisions based on that. Yep. Cause so like, for instance, what I did is I, I did a, a zine called scoundrels where I basically um, it's for doing sci mainly modern sci-fi um uh, games uh, doing heists and different things like that. It's not a game system. It's just actually meant to augment another existing sure. system, but a lot of the influences from blades in the dark, but also looked at how would you convert to blades in the dark. And once you strip out, if you make, if you make credits, the thing and credits is equated to say, um, a, a, just a card. It changes like mm-hmm. your heists because what happens now is before it's like, okay, here's a statue it's a very expensive statue that you're gonna go steal, but it you know, it's eight coins, or if you want to take money with you to go do certain things that that takes up slots that you can't put other things in or you become overweighted. So, or if you're wanting to go grab you find that you open up the stash box, you want to grab five coins, sometimes I carry those five coins.
0: Yeah, I mean, in in the sense of like there isn't really coins aren't something you carry around in Blades of the Dark, though. They're not, they're not like you have a, you have a certain amount you can carry. Absolutely. Right. There is before you have to kind of stash it and then it becomes inaccessible to you because you're saving it away for the future so you can retire. Right. So there is kind of like a, it's really though, it's a spend it or lose it kind of system.
1: Well, yeah. Well, you can also put it towards your retirement. I'm just saying is, but you might have to make decisions if there's a, if there's a pile of coins and you already chose to be beefed up to the point where you, you have all the armor, you could be in trouble because you could be overweighted. That's going to affect you being able to uh, to leave or to be able to run away from people. It could actually be a hindrance at a, at a certain point.
0: Sure. Or you just leave it behind because you right, already but have I'm just too saying, much stuff. Right? Yeah, now you've got to make
1: a decision. That's what I'm saying. That's what the beauty of it is also it, it, it's not something that's infinite, that you could put infinite amount in your wallet. But if you change it to a sci-fi setting – the aspect of it being weight and it having you make those types of decisions is gone. So that's where it's kind of like, oh, if you if you put into a sci-fi setting or a modern setting, money is no longer something that's physical currency that you have to deal with.
0: Sure, I, I think you, there's still a way to to essentially. I think there are ways to handle it, and I'm sure you've you know thought of them because you clearly did a zine about it. Mm. But I think there are ways to consider. Uh, that it's say like a sci-fi setting. Uh, disp- de- depending on how dystopian your sci-fi setting is, if you have too many credits hanging out in your credit purse, you maybe become uh, attract hackers who want to steal your cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because you have a desirable amount. Nobody really wants to to steal five, you know, credits from dude with five credits, but I will steal five credits from dude with a thousand credits. Right. Because that looks like a lot of money that you maybe don't notice when some of it disappears. And so it could, you know, you could do something like that, or you could where is all this money coming from government oversight? Like, right? Where they're right. like, oh, where did, you know, taxes are due. We want yeah, I think even for the
1: point where you have to make decisions is just maybe the heists are never about money. Maybe the heists are about physical objects.
0: Physical objects. Yeah, I like that better where you get a reward that is money or credits or expendable resource. But the heist or the, the thing you're stealing or the thing your target is, is always like a person or a thing. Yeah. Something like you're smuggling someone or something or you're stealing something.
1: Because that can create more of a complication.
0: It does because it's like, oh, what do you got there with your, like, you've got like a giant bronze statue under yeah. your arm, like, oh, this thing, it's just a milkshake.
1: Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, I just find that, I just find that whole thing, it but, it, but it goes to show that if you start, you start doing even certain tweaks with certain systems, there's yep. implications that, there's that so can many. start happening. And you don't necessarily see that going in, but you think, okay, you know, money's tied in multiple ways. And if you start changing it too much, yep. the whole system just starts to fall apart.
0: Right. It's it's actually hacking someone else's system that hasn't been stripped down of its like setting elements that has been like put down to its core components. Like if I want to hack, hack something into say Genesis. Okay. There's a book, there's a Genesis book. Yes. Right? And they have stripped out Setting stuff. Star Wars, we did Star Wars was the original, like, okay, we've created this Genesis system. And then I want to put things into Genesis. And I have got this Genesis book and it's nicely laid out and all the setting stuff has been stripped away. And now it's kind of giving me nice good guidelines on how to put my own game system into that and how to utilize the dice properly and things like that. But if I were just going to take Star Wars and make a hack of the Star Wars Genesis system into, you know, some fantasy game or some. You know, my own knockoff Star Wars. I now have to think of all the implications of how do I remove the setting elements that are setting specific subsystems? Like, what is a setting specific subsystem versus a subsystem that the engine absolutely needs and is necessary to run properly? And identifying those is work. Knowing, like, in often when you create a game that is like setting intense already, you as the designer don't necessarily know which is which until you do the work to be like well this subsystem is really servicing the setting and i could remove everything about smuggling from the genesis system and it's still the genesis system or whatever right and so it is hacking a game from nothing that doesn't already have itself stripped down to bare bones is really difficult because of what you said like untangling all of the subsystems and how they're integrated with one another can become a miasma,
1: well, right. And because I think again, with uh, you know, with blades in the dark, it was it's it's not as so much a direct experience, like with the uh, like we talked about with the uh, power by apocalypse. but that's spe- but that setting is so specific.
0: It's very specific a- and
1: <laughs> it <laughs> and-, and, and I, I mean, You know, like, you know, the thing I was thinking about too, it's like, you know, they've got that, they got the, uh, that ghost field that surrounds the city.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, what's that fair for? Keep you in the city. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's no, there's no, you could, he says you could, and there's some things, but but in general, you're in the city. You're in the city. That's what's a problem with, uh, with sometimes with these adventures is, uh, you know, if you're in Star Wars, you just fly off or if you're you're, jet setting. Yeah. Yeah. You leave this. It's like you can leave the city, but the idea is that you cannot leave the city and you are going to have to deal with all the fallout that you cause. You're also going to get the you. reward of stuff, but you are going to have to face the consequences because yep. there's fallout from every action you make. There's no action you can take in Blades in the Dark that will not result in something negative happening that you're yep. going to have to
0: deal with. Yeah. Some, you're you're going to step on – when helping one faction, you're going to step on some other faction's toes. <laughs> yes. When stealing something, you stole it from somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't do a thing without it creating ripples. And I like that, right? But that's, again, that's all the subsystems in Blades in the Dark are very – Narrowly pointing at this very specific gameplay that you're playing when you play Blades in the Dark. Yeah, it's all in service. Every subsystem is in service to that. Like you are criminals. You are you are doing criminal activities, and you must suffer the consequences of your criminal activities. Exactly. Or do stuff to reduce the heat of your criminal activities. Yes. Right. And and that is when you try to be, you know, Jedi Knights. You can't. Which is why you know the the scum and villainy is about the smuggler aspect of the space opera and not about the you know the republic <laughs> you know fighting against right. the empire aspect of it because it doesn't actually do that very well.
1: Well, it doesn't yeah, because they, the op- they had the was it the uh, obligation is one of the, the key mechanics that they put into place hmm. in the first one. Where I think they came with the, the one for the when you play the uh, alliance. I can't remember what the there's a different mechanic for that mm-hmm. for your character. So, OK, let's so I don't get to talk Genesis much with people. <laughs> OK, I got I got some strong opinions.
0: Oh, no. OK. Yeah.
1: yeah <clears throat> So
0: anyway. I, I also have strong opinions. So let's see if they match.
1: So <laughs> let me let me just say um, I'm so I came from, you know, mentioned the hero system i still love it but i'll it's just it'll never go back okay and um so i think except for a few areas it was a very good system for doing different things with Mm -hmm. and you could and so i've been sort of looking for i think the silver bullet that that that's a unit a system that i can play multiple games with love it and and i that's what I've been searching for. So I think you know I did have the uh, the Star Wars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they got the Genesis. And so I was kind of excited and I I was both excited and also extremely disappointed at the same time. So what is your view of the Genesis system?
0: Okay, the Genesis of all, system.
1: I mean just the how it's used in Star Wars, the mechanics, the the whole sure. the dice, what are your thoughts on the whole thing?
0: So I'm, I'm first, I'm going to give you a little spoiler on your search for the silver bullet, and let you know so that you can stop looking that it does not exist. This is this is your your road to El Dorado. These are your windmills. You need to stop, sir.
1: Thanks. Okay. I needed that intervention. Where were you years ago? I
0: don't know, but I'm telling you now that thing doesn't exist. It <laughs> just doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of game systems out there oh, no. that do a lot of things and can be done in a lot of genres. And But really, every game system is different. Every game system services different kinds of games differently.
1: Oh, no, I don't disagree.
0: And so, finding a game system that can do literally everything is kind of the the holy grail of non existence.
1: Yeah, I really maybe not everything, but I just kind a lot of, was of the,
0: things. Yeah, I know. yeah, like like
1: Fate was the one that.
0: But it's you know, not. It doesn't do certain things very well.
1: No, it's kind of like with Genesis. I, it's like I, I think I, I really wanted to work, but then in the end, I realized I just don't like it. I mean, there's things I really love about it, but in the end, I'm like. This is why I don't like it, and I. So yeah, uh, th- nope. Okay, so uh, I played. So I interacted it with it first. Star Wars,
0: right? Because yeah, Star Wars. Yes, of course. I'm going to play the new iteration of Star Wars. So did
1: you like right when it came out? That's when you you bought it.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I am definitely that kind of person. Um, yeah, and we played a couple of games, and I was. I know if I was like disappointed by it because I, we had fun in those games, mm-hmm. but I also can have fun just, you know, goofing off with my friends and not needing a game system to do that with. So like my level of ability to have fun with a game is very, like the bar is super low. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's a good system if I enjoy it. Uh From a system design standpoint, I think there are some things that it does very, very well that I think are very u- unique and innovative. I really like the idea of the 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 dice actually are are trying to do a thing that I think is actually really unique.
1: You say you but say try.
0: They're trying to do a thing that they think is unique, but <laughs> yeah. all all they're doing is creating a really elaborate near hit miss system. But that's it. They just said, "Oh, powered by the apocalypse does hit near hit miss." Let's see if how we can make that more complicated, and that's what they did. Right, so you have you can fail your dice roll, but have advantages. Right, you can succeed and have consequences. Right. Whoa, man, I don't know where I've ever heard of that before. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm not saying that it's bad, but it, it's a very complicated system to achieve a result. of It's not groundbreaking. It's the thing that had been around in in gaming spheres for a while. Now it was implemented in a way that I think is unique um, with the dice roll itself, right? I like, I like the dice rolling system. I like having these are clearly hits. These are clearly misses. These are clearly advantages. These are clearly disadvantages, roll the dice, count up how many of each you have and then decide what's going on. I'm not doing much math. I'm just adding some symbols together. Uh, I still have to remember what those symbols mean, but once you play for a little bit, you figure it out. Yeah. Um and so I actually kind of like that because it it removes a barrier of entry to more complicated games that I think some people have which is that's a lot of math. And then they they kind of seize up even though once you get into it it's actually not that hard.
1: And the thing is you don't have to remember about pluses and minuses. You just hand hand somebody a, a boost die or a compli- or I came yep. with the negative one. So you just say, "You know what, this is going a little bad here. Take a couple of these black dice yep. and add yep. to your roll." And that's all yep. you have to do
0: that's all you have to do. Yeah. And so like, yes, there are numbers on your sheet, but it's just telling you how many dice you're rolling. Mm-hmm. And then you're just looking at symbols. And so there's, there is some cognitive stuff that's going on there that I think is actually really inventive. And I'm, I really like, then there's some stuff in star Wars, particularly that's like, Hey, you've got a roll to buy a thing and not even just to buy it to to see if it's available to buy so if you want a new thing like you got to go to a specific area a specific area of the galaxy and then you have to make a roll. to say i'm like why is it so hard to procure things
1: <laughs> because they don't i don't remember them buying any anything in in the movies in the,
0: right well i mean they're, they're definitely things are exchanged in the movies I mean, i've yet seen it happen but it, yeah right and it's like we're we're well, we're trying to you know Make right, it's okay faithful. if you're saying,
1: you know, we need it. We need to upgrade our ship. We need to buy the such and such. Okay, you need to go to such and such planet. Okay, that's right, fine.
0: right, that's a story. But like, I just want a new freaking piece of armor. Like, can I get a new blaster, please? Is so very difficult, and that's silly to me because that's not good gameplay. That no. might be more, you know, oh, that's really the genre or whatever. But it's like, oh, but that's not good gameplay, and I need this to actually be good gameplay. I don't need it to look like the movies. Uh, <laughs> I need it. I need it to be fun. I so, um,
1: so to me, you know, kind of talking about it. I think Genesis, as far as the movies goes, I think it supports Rogue One style of feel. Yep, it does absolutely. But it is not. Uh, but not New Hope.
0: No, it's uh, it definitely more advent like space adventure and less space opera. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I agree. And it's interesting to me because the Genesis system that is pulled away from the Star Wars system looks very different from the Star Wars system itself, right? When you read through the Genesis book, you're like, oh, they pulled out all these subsystems Yeah. because those subsystems were in service to what you just described. And the thing you learn when you look at the Genesis system is is a big old core book of like how to, you know, here's magic, or how to do this, or how to do that, or how to design powers and things like that. It's really just a bunch of subsystems. It's all it is, and how you put them together. And if I, like, I haven't designed anything in Genesis, and I probably wouldn't ever, but what I would do is I would take my Genesis book, which I own, and and go, "Mm, what's their subsystem for determining how they're, like, what their hits mean? Right, like, what's the gradation between one advantage and two advantage and three advantage, and adapt that to something that I'm already doing that has a success or an advantage style system where like extra successes can be used for stunts or right. things like that. Like in Mutant Year Zero, exactly. you know, every t- every every additional six you get, you get to do something with it. Right. Oh, okay. Well, how do they how do they do that? Well, how does Genesis do that? Hmm. You know, which which do I like better? that that kind of thing right
1: to to me with a thing of so I love the dice mechanic I think that was great Mm -hmm. but to me I I even I don't even mind that the two axis and even kind of putting on the GM to kind of figure out how to do but what I really thought killed the game flow was there's a sheet of how to spend
0: yep
1: and at that moment you roll it Everybody's looking at that sheet and spending three minutes to figure out how they want to spend their advantage or the other person's disadvantage. It's like, this is dumb.
0: Yeah, it is. It's intensive in a different kind of way because it's like everybody's playing a wizard in D&D. Everybody. <sighs> Like let's find yeah. the most complicated class in D anD D that needs to spend like ten minutes going. What's the situation? <laughs> yes. Okay, now that I know what the situation is, what spell do I have? Did I memorize this spell? I did. I mem- I know all of these spells. Okay, well, which one? Okay, pouring through. Like it's it's that level of complication, yeah. right? But everybody's playing one. Yes. Like the the all black beach party is not actually necessarily fun to play because it takes a long time. Not that it's not fun to get cool effects and get big effects because you have lots of advantage in, in, in these games. Like that is fun. But the what do I do with this advantage? And because the magic systems, all of the magic systems slash doing stuff systems, utilize that subsystem of you roll advantage, you get these uh you get these results, right? And the, the results give you uh give you, you know, how many advantages did you get determines what kind of effect you can create. And that's actually kind of hard to parse. It is. Where, I don't know if you've looked at L5R. No. Okay, so L5R uses a modified Genesis system. It is not Genesis. Because it, it so are you familiar with L5R before Fantasy Flight picked it up?
1: No, I've never played it. I understand in general what it is.
0: Okay. So it used a D10 roll and keep system. So you had a, you know, attribute plus skill. It was aspect plus skill. The aspect was, you know, some number between one and five, the skill, some number between one and five. That's how many dice you rolled, but you only kept as many as your aspect. And okay. then you and then you look at the number based on that. So they did a very they did the same thing where you roll your aspect is the number of the bigger like twelve sided dice you roll. and then your skill is a number of like essentially you roll a number of twelve sided dice. It's very similar. the 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 number of that matches skill and attribute is the number of twelve sided dice you roll, and then the the uh, extra is the number of six-sided dice you roll but you only keep a certain number of those based on your aspect. And then you look at the results there. So you can actually toss negative results out the window in your roll and keep. Okay. And it's because of that and because of how the dice are where some some have like oh there's there's advantage on there but also it's but it's a miss right. miss with an advantage, right? That might be on one side of the die. And you may choose to keep that because you need advantages to get the effect you're trying to get. Okay. And so the way that they built that system was kind of backwards from the other way, where you're looking at a sheet of, did I get advantage? How do I use my advantage? Instead, it is, I need three advantage to get this specific effect that I am trying to do right this moment. I'm going to roll my dice, try to keep enough dice to get those advantages. And that, in my opinion, works yeah. because instead of going, "Well, what did I roll? Okay, now that I know what I rolled, right. what do I get to do with it?" It's, I know what I need to roll to get the effect I want. I know the effect I'm trying for, and if I don't get it, I get you know maybe some consolation prize, but it's already defined of what that consolation prize is in yeah, the power it, I'm trying. And to that use. does
1: make sense, and and because the, the magic, because I the magic system I thought was just absolutely. Garbage. Just
0: say garbage. It was garbage.
1: And (laughs) and the people (laughs) that defended it, if you were to say, hey, and they would say, well, you can do it this way, you can do it this way, and do it this way, and every way they did it was such a convoluted head game to get there. And they're like, see, that just shows the flexibility of the game. No, it doesn't.
0: (laughs) No, it makes it more complicated. And teaching it to new people is very, very difficult. And there's, a, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you can cast a fire spell and then depending on how well you roll, depends on how well you do on your fire spell. Like, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. But when I'm looking at like, I need this many advantages or this many successes to, to but it could be to, even some,
1: simple simples. Simple I want to fly. What do I do? I don't right. know.
0: I don't know. You roll some dice and then, and then you get to determine how well you fly.
1: Yeah. But you don't know which, 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 which thing of magic it is. Right. And, you know, well it depends need, on
0: the game system, right?
1: Well, but the thing, yeah, and the thing is like you you either need to you probably as a GM need to develop your entire magic system from scratch. Yes. Which you is what do. you had to do in Hero System, which made it a whole yeah. mess.
0: Well, I mean, Genesis isn't a game. It's not.
1: No. It's it's a
0: system that is there for people to hack and make games out of.
1: Right, but I would say that 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 magic system that's there did not provide near enough, and I don't even think even with the what's the one that came after it that was a magic system.
0: Mm, uh, those,
1: it,
0: oh, they did a uh, fantasy ver. They did a fantasy version yeah, of Genesis. They're they're I not D and D
1: thing, but anyway, I don't remember what it was called. Yes, but it was. It they still left stuff that was vague. I mean, they never really. Tighten it down.
0: Yeah, I haven't read that. I just know that like if, if I were trying to build a magic system from the Genesis like core book, just the like here's the system book, Genesis, I would have to build my own magic system from the ground up using their magic system as an example. Yeah. And I think that's kind of – because it's hard, right? If I'm building any setting, I kind of need my magic system to fall within my settings. So I can't just use a generic magic system. Like it sounds like you could, but honestly that's that whole like subsystems must fit the 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 service the game you're trying to make. Right. And and a generic magic system if you're trying to make a fantasy game is not going to service unless your fantasy game is just super generic. And nobody nobody really wants to make yeah, a generic fantasy game. That's already it, been done.
1: And I think it's yeah. just it, it just even the way it's handled it's it the thing is It seemed like most of the magic was tied to damage or is combat. So it seemed like when you tried to go outside of that, of I'm dealing damage or I'm draining something out of somebody, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of clear direction. Like, oh, yeah, we can show you how to do a fire, you know, shoot fire. Well, that's the least interesting thing.
0: I mean... I would go as far as to say that Genesis, as you said, it's an, like handles Rogue One very well. It's an action oriented game, and it's it is oriented more towards a combat style game than it is towards any other style of game. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't handle social interactions because it it can and they hand, and, and its social interactions happen the exact same way combat actions do so, so it it those exist in its sphere, but the subsystems aren't as developed for you know you know what do I want my magic to do that's like uh investigating a mystery, right, if I want my magic to help me uh right reveal invisible things or you know in solve mysteries or you know play a game of clue. Genesis is not the game I would go I want to talk to his dead body.
1: I have the spell that I can talk to. I can talk to the dead. Yeah. How's that work? I don't know.
0: You roll some dice and then you see how long you can talk to him, <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's how I would do it. But, you know, it it takes some thought and it would take a lot of, you know, a, a lot of finagling to get it there when you could just be playing gumshoe. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And and I did get the Android uh book and I need to go back I to that. You have that too,
0: the beanstalk one. Yeah, it's that like I think, I, could,
1: I think I'd play that one. I think I might even run that one. The Star and, War, I I just it just it it, it just I, we tried it multiple times.
0: Just give me the saga system. I just I, I think every the prob- day of my life.
1: Yeah, I think the problem also is the adventures i think are all just garbage that i've ever seen like is well, absolutely garbage <laughs> that's the, not the no, game's the, fault <laughs> the, the adventures no yeah. the, not the adventurers but the adventures that they put out like oh the, did they oh the one with uh what was that first one
0: i i don't know that i got any adventure oh. books i don't tend to buy adventure books it's just I'm, like
1: oh my goodness there's the very I'm not first one audience. beyond the, i think it was beyond the rim it's just like no maps, no mm. way of handling it, and it was just very obscure. And it's like, mm. okay, you're in this big ship, but they don't really tell you to handle the big ship. And it's it's it just it just seemed like such a throw. And I seen other ones. I'm like, these just aren't very good adventures. And it's just like, that's rough. Yeah, I adventure writing is hard, though.
0: Let me tell you. Like, well, having yeah, written a, a few wrote, adventures.
1: But the guy who wrote it has been doing it for, for decades. I mean, this is not this. – I'm not going to blame it on him because the same – could have been the same thing that happened with uh, with Steve Winter and um, uh, Cobalt Press guy. when They did the first uh, D&D adventure with the dragons mm. for 5e, the very first one, and they the, the rules weren't even – weren't even fully baked yet. And they're writing adventures. Trying to
0: write an adventure. Yeah. For and it's just it. like, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: like, it's like, it's like,
0: that's <laughs> yeah. That's sometimes rough when you're trying to like, Oh, we need to get the, we need to get an adventure out at, around the same time as uh you know, we want be able to, people to be able to play this game, like right out the gate when you have an adventure ready. Yeah. Like definitely, definitely had that problem before. <laughs>
1: and, and, and so like, cause I've been, uh, a friend recommended, I didn't really care for it when I first saw it, but then I actually bought as uh, Forbidden Lands hmm.
0: uh,
1: by Free League.
0: Okay, I haven't I haven't played it or seen it. So. Oh my
1: goodness! It uses the Mutant Year Zero okay. engine, or the, the Year Zero engine. Sure, yeah, but I call uh, it Mutant Year, Year Zero. <laughs> everybody knows. Yeah, but uh, I really hate the layout. I hate the design. I hate the layout. But my goodness, it. Um, do you ever play uh Role Master?
0: I have not played it, but I am familiar with
1: it. Okay. So the, it's like I think it's a spiritual um, Yeah, a successor okay. to that, because it's like okay. they have the the, the critical table. Uh-huh. But the critical tables aren't nuts. It's a it's a D66 table. Okay, but, okay. But the thing is going back to what you were saying with Year Zero is you also have you you roll and you get more ones. You can spend those ones different ways. There's yep. not a thousand options, but there's a few options. Yep. You got combat maneuvers that are very cool that you can do. Mm-hmm. Instead of just so you have like two things you can do. You don't have to do them all at one time, but you might want to save a parry for it in case you get hit and you can yep. you have choices and, and it's it, it like takes like D and D where it has like the your action and reaction. And it put a fast action, slow action, and if if you get um, attacked before you get a chance to go, you can still spend those actions defensively. Sure. And if you attack, you could use your fast action to to, to augment what you're doing, or you could save it in case you need to parry. Sure. So so there's a lot of choices, but it's not like my – it's not like – Pull out the spells. I too, got...
0: Yeah, it's not. There's not so many choices that it's overwhelming. That's actually a hard thing to balance in <laughs> yes. game design. Yeah. Is here are enough options to where you feel like each thing is unique, and here are too many options, and now you are overwhelmed with options.
1: It's hard. The, the thing is, I love as a GM for the Year Zero uh, style is uh, is is the, is an inherent pusher luck mechanic. Yes. Cuz you, you are set up to not f- succeed very often on your first yes. roll.
0: Yes. The year zero system is set up to in, in to have you fail more often than not but and to push you, your luck and to right
1: to get you to push your luck. Yep. And that's going to complicate your life.
0: Yes, yes. You could just fail your role or you could push your luck and get a little complication (laughs) and and then probably succeed and do what you want to do. What do you think? And I actually really like that, which is why when Tales from the Loop came out Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, there's a kid, a, a game about kids running around in like kid places, but it's using the same system. And I was like, How? And then I read it and I was like, oh, okay, this is actually more forgiving yes. because being a young kid gives you plot armor and it's literally written into the system that kids can't die. Like that's right. never going to happen. And all of the like injury or, or, or stuff you, you, you suffer are like skint knees and bruised egos. Right. Right. <laughs> And, and it's such a like, ah, oh, it's like, oh, we just, you know, we tweaked it just enough. And I'm like, mm, this is some fun game design. And I, I will say that I, now that I've started reading up on year zero, it's kind of a darling system of mine right now. Um, I'm sure I, later I'll be like, I'm done with it. But right I now, think I, so. I, uh, did, I love re- it
1: as a system. Did, did you, do you have Alien? I don't
0: have it. I need to get it because it it looks fantastic and it's really in my wheelhouse for games.
1: It's not a great game for reading. I mean, as far as it's hard to read, but it's a sure. it'd be beautiful. I need to get the, the the hard copy. But but they got a fear mechanic that they tied into this, mm-hmm. where you utilize fear to actually improve your rolls.
0: The more like, scared you are, the more likely you are to you succeed. roll ones
1: on those fear dice they're going to create a complication yes, and so perfect. you are yes, you want uh, you want to manage it yes. but not go too far with it cuz oh, otherwise yes, it can go out of control
0: yeah that sounds um it, it that sounds very actually similar to um a, a, you're not super familiar with the vampire the masquerade stuff but the no. vampire the masquerade 5th edition has these hunger dice and hunger dice are adapted from uh oh what was that dice called there was a dice system in vampire the requiem that they were adapted from which was adapted from a dice system that rose bailey created for another game and anyway uh, down to iteration but the way that those work is is that you always roll hunger dice and they substitute your pool your dice pool so they're a different color um and depending on how hungry you are add more dice and if you get a certain result with on the hunger dice that are showing so the more there are the more likely you are to get a one or this yeah. result then that causes complications in your life so you need to kind of manage how many of these dice you have in your pool but you can't right. get rid of them always forever because you're hungry vampires
1: yeah so, that's pretty brilliant yeah but, but i think the thing is you know going with the year zero engine is they, there's a lot of things do you, if you do you have corialis
0: uh, man, there's so many Year Zero games that I don't have actually.
1: But they, 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 and so what they do is they change the number of successes that you kind of need. So they, they did a, a partial success, being you just barely make it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The if you get two successes, it's a success, and three successes is I think a critical success. Right. But what they did is you're failing more often in a sense, but you, um, but they also, but you're more never hip- fully missing. But they also give you full hit points, to, or more mm-hmm. hit points. So it's kind of, they really are, uh, and they also throw in this icon system, which is kind of weird. But, but there's a lot of variation. So like a lot of the really cool combat maneuvers in, uh, in Forbidden Lands, in Coriolis, mm-hmm. they're not maneuvers. But if you get an extra success... You can spend you one, get of those to, into one of those points. So if you want to things. disarm somebody, then you can just spend all those points and disarm somebody.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting to me that you say that. And and I'm I'm getting close to running out of time, just to let you know. But uh it's interesting to me that you talk about that because I think that year zero's systems, all their different systems are a really good indication of an adaptable system that doesn't look always like all of itself right right when you look at like the d20 system d20 systems look really freaking similar there's no new subsystems there's new you know oh but we changed the die result this way like you just don't do that but when you have a system that is here's the core dice mechanic you're rolling d6s your attribute plus skill roll that number of d6s you're looking for a six or a one or whatever, right? You're looking for a single number and that is a success. Your lo- success, fail, that's it. That's all you're doing. You're counting successes. That's the core mechanic. Everything you do around that is a subsystem and how you utilize those subsystems together creates the game that you're trying to create. And you can see how, you know, tails from the Loop has that same core dice mechanic, but its subsystems are just different enough to facilitate that style of gameplay, right. where Alien has the exact same core system, but its subsystems are just a little different, different enough to facilitate that horror style of game. Yeah. And then your Forbidden Lands, same thing, right? And, and, and they're recognizable, right. but they are different enough to where it's like, if you know all the, like, I've played Tales from the Loop 15 times, I, you know, like we ran a three month long campaign. I'm totally familiar with the system. Let's go play alien. I'm not going to read the rules. You're going to be confused.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) You're not going to be able to play the game because your system mastery over here is not translate to system mastery over there because while it uses the same core system, there's a lot going on that's different.
1: But, but still familiar enough that you can be 80% there. Yes. Which is,
0: yeah. It's an ingenious way to do a system. And I think, I think it's, like, Powered by the Apocalypse is a very similar, like, when you hear Powered by the Apocalypse games, you're like, oh, 2D6 and moves. But the way they look are often very different. And I think the the Mutant Year Zero system is a little crunchier version of that.
1: Yeah. So, Danielle, it looks like we're about out of time. Is there anything you'd like to plug?
0: Uh, Yes, actually. Uh, I have a game on Kickstarter right now that is ending on... In a few days, probably on Wednesday or Thursday of of the coming week. Okay. That is uh, Trinity Continuum Adventure. It is a pulp action game set in the 1930s where you play um, kind of pulp action heroes. So Doc Savage style characters or Indiana Jones style characters. Um, Some of them are a little more super powered than normal people. In fact, all of them are a little more super powered than normal people. Um, jet setting around the world dealing with weird strange anomalies and forbidden like hidden hollow earth kind of crap and all sorts of interesting adventure as the the name is like adventure with an exclamation point it's very uh very exciting anyway so that's on kickstarter um it's ending in a little bit if you wind up missing it because you catch this later um it'll probably will have order system through backer kit if you hit it later. But, um, if you want to support that, that would be mean a lot to me. It's also a really cool game.
1: So what's the system? Is it, is it your it, own it system? Uses, is...
0: It uses story path, which okay. is the system that, um, the Cyan second edition is using. Okay. And, uh, it is also the system that the other Trinity continuum games, uh, are using. So this is actually, it's a core book for this specific era but there are other era games there's a superhero game set in the like 2020s so just a few years in our future called Aberrant and then there is a sci-fi game that's set in like 200 years after that in the same kind of continuum time span called Aeon um that's a kind of a sci-fi you play psychics
1: you know you don't have like your eyelashes catching flies. Not that.
0: that one. No, 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 that not, not that kind of Aeon. Oh, Although, okay. if you catch me later to ask me about Aeon and uh, and why and why this is the Trinity Continuum, I have a funny story about uh, White Wolf originally released this game as Aeon, and then got a a, a letter saying no, you can't. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was a letter saying no, you can't, or just a maybe we shouldn't, and then and then redubbed it trinity continuum okay. in trinity continuum aeon and so now all of the games are trinity continuum there's aeon aberrant and now adventure and no flux no flux okay. nope there is flux in <laughs> adventure
1: though <laughs> okay <laughs> well, that sounds great uh, everybody just check it out and again thanks for for uh, uh for joining me
0: thank you